Hi, this is Patty Johnson. My Be A Wavemaker podcast is a conversation on change, how to lead it, prepare for it, and thrive when work and life are full of surprises. I'll have Wavemaker guests join me and we will share ideas, tips, and strategies you can use now. We all want to build resilience and increase our confidence in ambiguity. This conversation is where we deconstruct these topics to give you real-world insights so you not only welcome change, but initiate it. I hope you'll join us. Hi, everyone. Welcome. You know, we always think about wave makers and change makers as knowing what big, bold moves to make, taking on those big challenges, and they do but it all starts with what is going on inside our head. Those hidden thoughts that we have, the uncertainty, the fears that keep us from ever really getting started and making that progress on the change that we want to make. So today it's all about that. And so today with Mike Smirklow, we're going to explore how to battle the monkeys in your mind. We all have them. And we're going to explore how do you actually do it today. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited that you all are here today. Listen to a really interesting conversation with Mike Smirklow. And let me introduce Mike. And Mike, I'll ask you also to let me know what I've missed here. But Mike has kind of done a little bit of everything and been very successful at many things. Entrepreneur, investor, business leader former founder and CEO of a really successful business, co-founder of Next Coast uh, Ventures, which invest, has invested in over 40 companies, and the author of Mr. Monkey and Me. And I want to make sure I don't miss that all of the proceeds from that book go to charity. So I could talk more and more about you and what you've done. What have I missed? Well, as the old joke goes, Patty, let, enough of you talking about me. Let me talk about me. No, <laughs> a great summary. Happily, luckily married and father of four, probably most importantly. But no, re- re- great introduction and thanks for having me. Yes. And that is the most important, that full life experience, right? So, well, I want to talk of today. We really want to get into this topic of the monkey mind, the distractions, the things that get in our way from doing making the big changes we want to make, going after the hard stuff. And and I, I'm very interested in all you've written about this. And I guess one of my main questions, I was le- learning more about your background and we've been talking, why did you write this book? You could have written about business success and you know investments and all these other things, but yeah, you chose this one. Why this topic? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and and to be clear on the book, it's not a uh, it's not a Mike Smirklow uh, success story. That would have been a short blog post. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been I've had success. I've been I've been very fortunate. So I don't want to be not humble bragging. But the book uh, was really around the mental aspect of entrepreneurship, and I wrote it for a couple of reasons. I think for the biggest reason I wrote it is I saw two forms of content around entrepreneurship, and I think the book is broader. And I'm glad that be on your podcast for all the great work you do, because it really is about how do you get the right mental framework and, as you said, to make the changes that that are important. But what I saw for most entrepreneurs, either existing or those thinking about it, they fell into two categories. The one bucket is the how-to stuff, which is really important, how to write a business plan, how to raise capital, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other bucket 
is what I used to call entrepreneur porn, but I had to get a better name for it. But it's just like, you know, these articles that make it how to hack, how to hack a business or what billionaires do before breakfast, which don't really do anything for you. Actually, they use, if you read them, they make you feel bad about yourself. Gosh, I, you know, I don't get up at 4am and meditate and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And nothing was really hitting upon this mental aspect. And so what I really wanted to do was focus on the mental side of entrepreneurship and what I learned from watching great entrepreneurs from my own experience and now investing in great entrepreneurs. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm curious, you know, has the experience that you have now at Next Coast, it sounds you have interacted with so many people that are trying to, trying to get their businesses started at all different walks of life. Have you, has that sort of validated your belief around what gets in the way mentally or have you observed yeah. anything that surprised you? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think, Patty, I could have written the book without my six plus years at Next Coast Ventures because what I I kind of came into the job of investing from operating thinking, well, there's, you know, here's how I did it. And there's probably a couple of consistent personality types. As it turns out, we have seen a wide range of successful entrepreneurs and there's no one size fits all or anything close to it. With one exception, my business partner and I have talked a lot about this. It seems to be a combination of self-awareness and grit yeah, and, and self-awareness. We're going to talk, I'm sure with your material around mm -hmm. change, but those seem to be, if we look at our successful investments, they seem to have the entrepreneur seems to have those attributes. And so part of my research in the book is I went and talked to in my own experience, but also members of my YPO forum, which is a great uh, group mm -hmm. I'm part of with amazing entrepreneurs. And then also talked to some of the founders we backed at Next Coast Ventures and asked them, what they thought was most important. And that's really where the shape formula, the, the formula that's in the book came from, it was not just from my own experience, because I didn't do most of that stuff really well, but but seeing other people and listening to what they thought was the key to their success. Yeah. And I do want to talk about your, your shape framework, um, and we'll get into that too. But it's interesting because when I wrote my book about, and I did a lot of research around wave makers and those people that kind of my shorthand for people who started change, made big things happen. Some of them entrepreneurs, but some of them not, just stuff in their community. And the ridiculous thing is because I had, you know, I had that consulting mindset. What do you do? What are the actions? I had my whole book outlined. These are all the stuff you go do. And I started doing all these interviews and really kind of came around to what I think your main theme is. It's like, well, really, it was the way they thought about it, the way they looked at it. Like, I can figure this out. I don't know how, but I can figure this out. Or, you know, yeah, it's a little setback, but I can keep going. And, you know, it seems like that would be uh, like it would be obvious, but it's not, isn't it? I mean, people so often are so focused on the stuff. What are, what's the stuff yeah. they're supposed to go do, you know? Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is, and, you know, we'll bounce around. I'm sure it's a fun conversation, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's so many people that think that when we see these great success stories, and again, mine's more centered on entrepreneurship, but I think you take a broader lens to it. You see these great success stories, often, more often not, they didn't set out to create, you know, I joke in the book, it's like Howard Schultz didn't set out, the founder of Starbucks didn't set out to have you know, a location on every corner in the world. He set out to have replicate an experience he had in Italy. So you've got these, the point being is that a lot of times it's just getting going. And yes. I think I'm sure it's the same. I'd, I'd be curious if that's what you found. Yes. In your book. It's a lot of just getting going and taking and bringing passion and energy to something can be mm -hmm. the biggest uh, component to success. 
Yeah, and I, I like your thoughts on because that right there, that point about not, that was a big one. Get started, get just get going, and you can figure some of that as you go. As you talk about, you know, Mr. Monkey and me and self awareness, which is the first step of, of shape, you know. I'm curious about that need to be right, to be perfect, to have, if you have that mindset, what's going to happen to you when you're starting to do the new thing, build a business, whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, and, you know, so the stepping back a little bit, the, the character, the main character in the book is, is a big hairy monkey. Um, yeah. something I, I caricature, I made a caricature out of a, a voice inside my head that was around fear and certain doubt. I think everyone has that a voice it may tell you different things and it may manifest itself in different outcomes, but I certainly had the voice. And so to your question, I can pretty confidently say something is going to go wrong. You are going to make a bad decision because you do, we do as humans. And if you believe that you have to be perfect or right, or that you're infallible, you're going to be proven wrong very quickly. And then the real question is, is how do you deal with it? And I think that's where the, you know, the monkey voice, especially if you put that kind of pressure, I've got to be right. I've got to have all the answers. You're not going to, and you're going to make mistakes. And if you don't have a flexible mindset around that, um, at least for me, that's when the monkey voice would scream, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. Quit this job right now. And unfortunately, a lot of people listen to that voice. And I certainly did. Talk about that. How did it affect you early on? Obviously, you figured it out. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I, I laugh because, uh, and I say this in the book, it's like, I thought I could. Like when I was, so, you know, background, I came from incredibly humble background. First with my family, I was going to go to college. Came, didn't see role models when I was younger, uh, anything positive. It was basically alcoholism, divorce, you know, a lot of that stuff and poverty. So I just wanted to get out of Toledo, Ohio, where I grew up. And I had an early belief that, if I accomplished X and X kept moving, that this voice would finally go away. And I have learned to accept the voice as a friend of me, if you will, someone that's always going to be there. You know, I'm, he was hopping around right before I got on this podcast. What are you going to say, stupid? You know, no one's going <laughs> to listen to you. Patty, a lot of people want to listen to Patty. It was that voice in my head. But my point is the voice changes. It moves the goalpost on, on me all the whole time. So now I think I've gotten, hasn't gone away but at least learned to understand it, respect it, and try and deal with it in a productive way. Do you think that you talked about the, you know, kind of the voices in your head, do you think just given the way we all grew up, that some of that is kind of baked into us as we get to be grown up big people and that it's just there? Is that, was that your experience? I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm playing, uh, I love to play psychologist. I love going to go, yeah, I don't, I don't have any training, but that, that never yeah. stopped me before. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of the people that used to work for me, they probably say, yeah, never stop Mike, uh, lack of expertise, never stop Mike from opining. But, um, <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, I, I do believe that is the case. I also think the voices are, you know, and I think the voice are always there. I think they do change and evolve over time. I think the monkey's a very sneaky beast. But I also think it shows up differently for different people. It may show up as putting something off, postponing. It may show up as lack of confidence. It may show up as apathy. 
These are all things that are, you know, this voice, oh, well, you know, why write a book? Why start a business? Okay. You know, and, and it could be your high school basketball coach. It could be your teacher, your parent. I mean, who knows where the voices come from, but I, I would attest they don't go away. And I would attest the beast is uh, pretty good at evolving. Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk, there's obviously all businesses right now are talking about belonging, inclusion, you know, increasing diversity, all of the social justice issues and translating that all good companies are having that conversation. And, you know, I wonder if you, you know, as you talk about for you, when you started out, did you feel a little bit of I'm the other, I'm a little different than the rest of the people in the room, just given you said you grew up in humble beginnings and given some of the things you've done, how did that, was that oh, an experience? Oh yeah, like like massive imposter syndrome that I had every step of the way. I mean, I was I literally grew up in and around trailer parks and the inner city of Toledo, and I remember first going to college and I was like whatever fifty years ago, not really, but it seems like it. Yeah, and uh, and these kids had these shirts on with little ponies on it, and I was like, <laughs> what is that shirt? Literally, yeah, yeah, it's a polo shirt, and then I found out it cost like thirty bucks, and I was like you spent $30 on a shirt, you know, so that there's part of that. But then I, I struggled with imposter syndrome all the way through as a leader. And I think I certainly got better at it. But to be clear, I'm a tall white male who grew up in the United States. So I still think I started on second base, you know, I had challenges to overcome, but compared to a lot of folks, I could cut my hair, I could dress, I could buy a nice suit. And that would have helped at least allow me to play the part a bit more. I always have my, my interesting last name that always makes people kind of smirk low. But, you know, I'm not John Smith. But besides that, I, I could overcome some of this through appearances. So I think it was a little bit easier for me than most. But inside my head, I really struggled with that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. I think a lot of people trying to make change do. To your topic, anybody who's trying to get out of a situation or make an improvement, Probably the hardest thing I think is the people that are around them when they're making the change. Maybe, I mean, you wrote a book about it, so I'll shut up and ask you, but I think there's a, there's people around you or voices that are going to tell you, no, no, stay comfortable. And that's where apathy sets in. I don't know. Is that, did you find that as well? Yeah. And, and I do think the, um, it's interesting, like, you know, when you do feel like you're different, you're. I'll be curious as you just in your observations with, you know, these new entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs coming in and trying to get a business started. If you've seen that, because, you know, I know for me, I, you know, at Accenture a, a long time ago, you know, I, I would be sometimes the only woman in the room or certainly the only working mom in the room or, you know, and I would not begin to compare that you know, the experience to some of the people that people experience people of color or, or, you know, the question I get a lot from, from women, like I'm the youngest woman in this conversation. How do I deal with this? And so I'm just curious, like this, when, when we start to start talking about this, I want to talk about the shape model of you dealt with it. And I'm curious if you see that with the entrepreneurs that you deal with and kind of, do you see that any other actions that they're taking or strategies that are being used to help people move beyond? It's kind of a big, broad question, but I'm just thinking about that connection as we're talking. Yeah, well, it's, and again, we, we can jump into the formula because that's what I wrote. So I wrote the book and as you mentioned, I appreciate it. All the proceeds go to charity. They go to a scholarship I set up for diverse and underrepresented students who are into entrepreneurship. I passionately believe the world needs, we need more entrepreneurs. We need more 
diversity and entrepreneurship. And then we need more people to stay mentally healthy when they begin this journey. So that's what my, my passion is. And I wrote the book with that in mind. Again, it, it is around business, but also I, hopefully it helps in, in broader context because I think it's really stinking hard. And again, I, I had it and I wrote the book really with the view of my single mom. I was raised by a single mother. That's who I had as an audience hoping that if people are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or considering it, that it was a preparatory uh, exploration around what you're going to have to go through so you weren't misled, but then also some tools to to begin to see yourself differently. And I think to your point on really whether it be people of color or gender or any challenges you have, I do think, and that's why I wrote the, the monkey voice is going to be telling you, well, gosh, I'm the youngest woman in the room. I probably shouldn't raise my hand. I don't yeah. know what the voice says, but that's the same. That's exactly what the book's about is like, how do you then say, no, that's not true. I know what, you know, in this example, I know what the subject is. I've got a great point of view. How do I have the courage to raise my hand and participate? That could be entrepreneurship. That could be changing something in your community. That could be standing up for something you feel very strongly about. It's all the same challenge and opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's talk about the shape framework because I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in all these topics. I mean, I think anyone that's listening is thinking about, okay, well, what can I do differently? What can I learn that I can take and apply? So let's, let's talk about these. So maybe we just quickly, you want to just give the overview of the shape framework and then let's dive into a few of these. Yeah. So, so very simple. You as a former consultant can appreciate frameworks like I can. Um, <laughs> but what I try to do is again, each chapter starts off with uh, usually a embarrassing story about me. Um, then it lays out the five, the attributes and then every chapter in the formula gives what I call monkey minders. So four or five ways you can actually bring this to life. The formula is, uh, the acronym is SHAPE. It stands for, S is for self-awareness, H is for help, A is for authenticity, P is for persistence, and E is for expectations. And we can walk through them, but they, they're not exactly Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but they do tend to work, I think, best when they're built upon. So it really starts with self-awareness. And let's talk about that because I think we all have, I always call about, we have our own little backpacks we carry around with us. And regardless of the situation, we got the backpack because to your point, how you grew up, how you, you know, kind of how your brain works, it's, yep. it's there. So if someone's listening and thinking, okay, how can I use self-awareness to deal with Mr. Monkey and kind of help my mind go at these situations better? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I think it just kind of understands like what, you know, at the basic level, what are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you like to do? What do you not like to do? A really simple framework to then think about as it relates to business or anything else. Um, if I, there are a hundred people in the room and I said, is anyone here a bad driver? No one would raise their hand or maybe one person was, but we have accidents all the time. So there's got to be some bad drivers out there. But so, so what are you good at really, not what you think you're good at? Um, what do you like to do? Where do you get energy? And I think by learning where your, your weaknesses are, you can, it's much easier to play to your strengths than your weaknesses. So that's kind of self-awareness. But then also looking around going, okay, I'm not really good at you know, bookkeeping or marketing or whatever the subject matter is in the business context. How do I get either I help get those people around me or it leads to H, how do I get some help? But it really starts to understand, you know, having a very objective view of your own attributes. Boy, is it hard because you kind of have to go into those rooms like, ooh, 
ooh, I'm not that good at that. You know, no one likes to do that. But I think if you do that, then the road to both improvement and where you can get some outside resources becomes much more clear. Yes. Yes. Understand. And the situations I was talking to a client last week who, you know, she was describing that it's really the upline communication with that senior executive team where she shuts down, you know, well, if you know that, then what can you do to help, you know, get yourself ready? So knowing that the other thing that's interesting in the book, you talk about, and these are my terms. So the kind of the role model pitfalls, you know, kind of don't try to do like, what would George Clooney do? I mean, that's not what you're, you know, you know, that's not, that's not helpful to you because it's not really, you're going to touch on authenticity, but you know, knowing kind of who you are and talk about that a little bit about, cause you know, we all talk role models, role models are yeah. great, right? We find your role model, find your mentor, talk about, you know, how that could get in your way here. Yeah. Well, it, it leads to, uh, I'm such a huge fan. I've been so blessed to have a ton of mentors in my career. And I tell this story in the book that, you know, where, where I was getting help, I got some help, some coaching, and then trying to define my authentic leadership. And I had two very different role models in my head. I had this one guy named Greg Reyes, who's this alpha male, alpha male of all alpha males and kind of, <laughs> you know, back in the, and this was late nineties. So a lot has changed. So oh, yeah. you just have to bear in mind, but this was the wild, wild west in Silicon Valley. And he was one of those just larger in life personalities. I, I called him like, yeah, he was George Clooney meets NFL linebacker <laughs> yes, um, I saw that. and just, you know, I'll, you know, you're fired kind of guy. And yeah. then the other one was a guy named Ben Horowitz, who's gone on to a legendary career as a venture capitalist and wrote a great book about entrepreneurship called the hard thing about the hard thing. Ben was the alter Greg. Ben was self-spoken, never used his office and power, had a very, just, just not a very thoughtful guy, but he, but Ben could like say things to people that I would be in meetings. This is a guy I worked with right before I started my, or started my entrepreneurial journey. And you're like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? Like right to the matter. So anyways, I had these two in my head and, and you're right. Like role models are helpful, but helpful if they fall within how you want to show up in the world, how you see the world and how you are in your authentic self. And I struggled with that for a long time. And there's a story in the book about it, but basically it was starting to drive me crazy because I was like, okay, do I act like Greg at this moment or do I act like Ben? And then finally I was like, eh, maybe there's this guy called Mike. <laughs> might be a better source for me to go to. And, you know, of course, in the monkeys screaming, no, 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 Mike doesn't know anything. But, you know, get role models. They can help you. They can help point to a different direction, but also make sure it's something that you and your core feel comfortable with emulating. Yeah. versus something that you're just, uh, you're playing a part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, that's a hard thing. Like how did, how did you go through the experience of kind of getting to that self-awareness of this is sort of who I am and I'm going to bring that to the party instead of trying to be like somebody else? Yeah. I I'll tell the story that's in the book. It was about, it was really interesting. It was, we had a, as the company was growing and we were expanding, we brought in a head of HR and he was wonderful. And he did this thing called um, top talent, which was a way you evaluate who's got high potential, who's very good at their job and high potential. It's kind of a standard, you know, bigger yes. company. I'm sure you've lived through countless sessions of those. Probably. I have seen many. Yes. Yeah. But we were there and we're in this conference room and we were going through the list and finally an individual uh, who came up and I, 
anonymized him in the book, it came up and this guy was the soul of the company. He was the one that everyone loved and kind of the, but he was a jack of all trades, master of none. He wasn't particularly good at one thing. So his name came up and the recommendation in front of my executive team was to fire him because, you know, and, and, and they, and the HR person used something and I had said, well, you know, Mike always says there's no room for mascots. And I was crestfallen. And I sat there in the meeting and I was trying to think like, okay, well, what would Greg, my one, my alpha, he'd like, and you know, the monkey screaming, Greg's like, yeah, just get rid of him. He's dead weight. And right. you know, I'm like, what would Ben say? I'm like, I don't know. Ben's a lot smarter than I am. And, and then finally I just turned to my team and I said, you know, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the first time I ever said that it was a couple of years in my journey and just admitting vulnerability. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. The monkey screaming at me, Mike, did you just say you don't know what to do? You're the CEO. You always have the answers. And so, but then I watched my team respond to that and rally around me, get excited. We had a great discussion. We ended up promoting the the individual and putting him in a different role. And he went on to a great career with the company. And it was just then when I finally said, okay, it's great to have other ideas, but at the end of the day, you got to go to sleep and you got to say, what did Mike feel comfortable with in this situation? I, I mean, I still struggle with it. I, that's, I can tell the story like I, like I accomplished it and I do at times, but I still struggle with just being direct and not being passive aggressive and being authentic. It's really hard for yeah. me. Yeah. And, and you feel like for you, it's been more just changing some of your habits or allowing yourself to be more open has helped you move the needle on that? Yeah, I think it, I, I come from a background of, I mean, I was, you know, again, like way back in my history, but like around alpha male or kind of like, you got to be tough and strong. Yeah. Those, are, those are my male role models, not exactly uh 2021 PC for sure. But this was, you know, in the seventies kind of thing or eighties, it's just kind of like, Arr. and so I, yeah. I think that it, it's a, it's a, not a natural moment for me to say, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm really, un- I'm really confused. I mean, the worst thing for me to say is, Hey, I'm kind of scared right now. Like what? So, yeah. you know, and again, that's just Mike, but Patty has a different, we all have our different voices that mm-hmm. prevent us from being authentic. And so the job is to recognize that voice and say, okay, I got it. That's my seven year old in my head talking now. So now how do we, how do we address that as a, as a somewhat mature adult? Yeah. And having time to think, helps, doesn't it? I mean, um, you know, when I looking at your book, it's like, you know, I have the problem with monkey mind, right? A busy, busy, got to go, go run, run, run. And if you don't have time to do and think through what you're talking about here, that self-awareness can be hard. Let's go just to the, the second one, which is help. And I know this is going out to those people who've done it before and get their perspective. I mean, is that kind of yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it, listen, I think the, the one thing I remind myself all the time and I have for a long time is that anything you're trying to do, anything you're trying to do, someone out there has done it. And so you're, you talk about change. So maybe you're trying to break a habit. Maybe you're trying to make a positive change, correct. Whatever it is, someone's done it. So the critical part is a, and this comes self-awareness, like, okay, where do I need help? And then B being open and mindful about getting help for the particular problem and then finding someone who's who's relevant and then you know the business world you can talk about mentors you can also get professional coaches right that that are invaluable i think i I would correlate strong entrepreneur performance to having a coach but also is it someone who's you know done what you're trying to do recently 
and has time to spend with you. But those are, it's pretty straightforward formula, but it, you know, it starts with kind of raising your hand. And the other thing I found weird in the world, people love to give help. Oh, they do. They really do. It's Um, flattering. Even busy people. Yeah. Yeah. It's flattering. And so what about, we talked about this a little bit in an earlier conversation. What about, you know, times like this past year or sometimes in business situations where, well, haven't done this exactly this way before. This is a whole new thing. This is a whole new market. This is a whole new way we're trying to work, especially last year. What the heck? I mean, we could, well, maybe I can, maybe I can see till next week. Maybe. How do you get help? Can you get help? When you're in really just unknown times, it's not something that everybody has done before. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a great question. In 20, 2020, I do think it might have been the hardest year in multiple ways. Probably the hardest year ever to be an entrepreneur because you had you, you know you, you had the challenge of being an entrepreneur. Then you had this thing, a global pandemic. Then you had to work from everywhere, and then throw in you know social justice coming into the workplace. So a lot of things that were new. I do think. The risk is, so I, I would turn it back. I'd say the risk is thinking that because it's new or different, that there's no sources of help. There we go. Mm-hmm. I think that makes what it, sense. Yeah, I think what it is is about, okay, what's similar to this? You know, in some regards, we, we talked to our portfolio, our entrepreneurs and said, well, I don't know, is this like 9-11? Let's, let's think about how we thought about 9-11 or the housing crisis or, you know, there, there's similar challenges, not exactly the same. What did we learn from them? How do I apply that? So I think that's the the mental maturity or mental model around it versus saying, you know, if you want to go run a marathon, go click first time marathon on Google and you'll get 50,000, you know, how-to <laughs> yeah. versions. That's the easy stuff. Right, but right. How to manage a workforce in a global pandemic. <laughs> not, there was no Google uh, search for that uh, 18 months ago. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I think your point, you're, you know, the, the, you're saying, there's always help. It may not be in an identical situation, but there's always help, you know, and you just got to go find it. So the third one is authenticity. So we said S, self-awareness, H, help, uh, A, authenticity, which I feel like we've kind of talked about that yep. a little bit. Let's, I want to talk about persistence because to me, in my research, I found this was massive. I can keep going. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. I I can take a step back. I'm going to find a way through. I'm going to find the path out of here. Talk about, I'm curious with the, all the entrepreneurs that you deal with, people that are, that are coming in to Next Coast Ventures. How does that show up? What do you think the people that are really displaying persistence, what, what are they doing? How are they looking at the world? Yeah, we we have this term, which is it's very it's a visceral term. We call it glass eater, and uh, we came up with it because we're like, what what is the X factor? And <laughs> we thought of uh, a particular entrepreneur. She's led an amazing company for us, and we were like, gosh, you know, if if Julia had to eat glass like to survive, would she do it? And again, you know, we're, we're not asking or advocating <laughs> glass. This is good. Part. Yes, this but, is good. But it, but it was like. You know, and our job is to kind of give some ketchup and mustard for it. But it was like, okay, it's the type, it's a mindset that says, I am going to find a way with, and I always, within legal and ethical boundaries to make this a reality. And I think the craziest entrepreneurs, and I think anybody who has impact, I should, I should broaden it. They're just crazy enough to, to have an idea and believe that they can do it. 
but, and it's a big but, they also know it's not going to be easy. And that's where, what I think the biggest thing around persistence and I, why I hate some of the, you know, the entrepreneur candy or those plaques you see on the wall, you know, with the eagle flying over the valley and <laughs> just, just keep after it, right? It's like, no, 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 don't, yeah. don't, don't give, me, give me some real advice. But I think the biggest thing is like knowing it's going to be hard. And back to my marathon thing, if, if you came to me and said, Mike, I've never run a marathon, I've, I've run a couple. And I, and I said, well, Patty, just go grab your shoes and start running. That's not helpful at all. No, no, no. Here's all the things you're going to have to do. Change your diet, prepare, train, train, train. So I think with an entrepreneur framework or any framework, it's like persistence isn't just the, yes, it's going to get tough in my opinion, but it's know that it's going to be a challenge and, and embrace it and get excited about it. Yes. And if and you I, can do that, judo, it's a big deal. That is a big deal. And, you know, I ended up, you know, we ended up with the characteristics of wave makers. We put adaptable in front of it. So adaptable persistence, meaning I'm persistent, but I'm learning, I'm adapting, I'm changing, I'm incorporating new information, but I am, I'm going to continue to keep going. And I think, you know, the other thing that I thought we talked about ego a minute ago, I think it was really interesting that, you know, some of the people that I found, they had persistence because they were more, they were more focused on the bigger purpose. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to create? That was, they had that little North star. They didn't worry about an ego bruise. They didn't like me. Nobody approved what I wanted to do. Oh, it didn't go well. So I'm done. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of bigger, bigger plans. You know what I'm saying about what they're trying to do helps you keep going. I wish I had that. Wish I had an adaptable persistence. I guess my it would have been the shape formula. So it might not have been as in. But <laughs> I, I like I like having that that A in front of it. But yeah, I do think uh, you know, and I, I talk about that kind of leads into the persistence and expectations you might expect lead into each other. But I talk about that when when you're starting a business or think about starting a business. It's like make sure it's something that you're really interested. In. I'm not a follow your passion person because. You could be passionate about, I'm passionate about fly fishing, but I don't want to go do it every day, right? It, it would lose its luster. But I do think there's something about what are you trying to achieve with the business? And if it's wealth creation or individual glory, as I can attest, both of those, those are pretty short runways. Yeah, yeah, they are. Both on the positive and negative. And I think if you can look at it and say, I have a bigger purpose and mission, yeah. That does add a ton to the persistent mindset. Yes. And I think it also ties to your last one of expectations. Because if your expectations are, I have to be perfect, it has to be great. And as soon as I start building this business or starting this change or this nonprofit or whatever it is, it has to be great and it has to be great fast. If your expectations are so high, I got to think that affects your persistence. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I think like everything, at least entrepreneurship, it has a beginning and middle and end. And I think the expectations talk a little bit about, it's like if you're going to change, I think it's probably the same. You, you can weigh in on that, but it's like, okay, what's it going to be like in the beginning? It's going to be hard. It's going to take a lot of work. You're going to have ups and downs. Other part of expectations, like it never gets easy. Things change and it never gets easier. And, and then the last part is it's going to have an end, right? At some point uh, it'll come to an end. And so having the framework around expectations seems to also be a pretty high determinant of success. And to your point, if you, if you think it's going to be easy or it's going to get big right away, or you have to be perfect, you're going to flame out or quit or both pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. I know when I started my business, I mean, I was like, try to take my normal 
brain of, oh, it has to be great, it has to be great, to say, you know what, in year one, very moderate expectations, very, you know, and it helped me not undermine how I was thinking about it, which I think that that's a big one, that ex- the whole expectations thing is a big yeah, one. Yeah, and any, anything you're trying to change, you know, you didn't, it didn't happen overnight, like, I need to lose a few pounds. The pounds didn't come on overnight, so it's going to take some time to to address that if something if something I put in my mind to. Yeah. So, Mike, what for you? If you were coaching somebody else, or just think about your own story, where there's there's so many good stories in this book, but what do you think has been your greatest unlock that's helped you really move forward around this whole topic? I think probably of all the things, it's the self-awareness and just understanding the voice. You know, first of all, it's just recognizing the voice. So for me, the greatest unlock has been even today in any situation, if I do have, and listen, you know, negative thoughts have their place in the world like anything. They can be motivating. They can be, they can help you change direction in your life, but it's just a self-awareness and going, okay, Here's where I am, and and I'm gonna and I'm a, a work in progress. That's the other thing I'm probably, you know, taking me a long time to to realize is that you know it's it's life is a it's a painting in action, right? And it's you know, there's no goal. The other thing I, I really struggled with was like I thought there was some goal. Once I got to, then everything would be perfect. Eh, it doesn't work that way. That's there are a lot of a lot of self awareness and uh, a lot of therapy. You know, yeah. Well, and I think. You know, the comment about therapy, I think one thing that's super important to mention here is that I feel like this topic, you know, I don't know how you think about it, but it it almost feels like there's a continuum. And on one end, it's, yeah, I need to really work at how I think about my life or how I think about the changes I want to make, the obstacles. And the other end is, you know, I I need to get some help, some support to work through it. I'm not going to be able to do it on my own by reading a book or, or whatever. So keeping that mental health you know, front and center is, I think, you know, we both would, would think that's so important. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is, I mean, and then how many stories do you see of entrepreneurs or anyone who politicians, athletes who go off the rails when they've yes. achieved the level of success? So, so how do you then deal with the ups and downs and if, and when you are successful and you accomplish something, how do you maintain the mental health after the fact? Something that's often r- rarely written about, if you will. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Gosh, we should have time. But, you know, with the Olympics coming up, there's just so many stories. And, you know, Michael Phelps has been around exactly what you're what you're talking about there. One other thing I want to just that kind of going through my mind and then I want to ask you a couple of just closing questions is, you know, I've always felt that if you can encourage people and myself to focus on not am I good enough? Do they like me? Am I going to be you know impressive? All those things and reframe to how can I contribute here? Even if you are the youngest person in the room, you're the least experienced, you whatever it may be, there's some way you can contribute. How can I contribute here? I always feel like that's a really good unlock. And it helped me a lot with like speaking and things like that to try to get my brain to stop thinking about am I going to be good enough? You know, yeah. are they going to like me? So I think that's also a nice strategy to try as well. You yep. know? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah. We could keep talking. I do want to encourage, before I ask you a couple of closing questions, 
just a reminder, if you haven't read Mr. Monkey and Me, please do. It's very readable. There are great stories and proceeds go to charity to help other people, entrepreneurs trying to to figure out this topic as well. Okay, Mike, now we're going to close with two questions. All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, here we go. First one. What do you know now that you wish you had known then? What do I know now? You know, I was thinking about this question. I actually think what I wish I would have known. I, well, let's see. So you always have these questions like, well, what would have happened if I had known that? Um, <laughs> I think for me, I wish I would have known that proving people wrong, which was a big driver for me, you know, it, it has pros and cons. And to me, a lot of my early focus was on proving people wrong about me or decisions they had made, et cetera. And um, in retrospect, a little bit like the old adage of drinking salt water. Uh, you know, you're still thirsty afterwards. And so I think it was a, an empty chase that I put a lot of energy and time towards that, you know, probably could have gotten a a lot of hours back and a lot more better use of my mental energy than may. I used to have a list of people on my desk early on. It's embarrassing to say of people that I would cross off when I had achieved something and yeah, probably could have used that energy differently. That's interesting. Just out of curiosity, were those people that you felt expected you couldn't do something or didn't give you the chance or was it that kind of list? Yes. Yes. And yes. Either, you know, or made a decision not to make me a priority, had slighted me, had not, you know, had believed in me, whatever it was. I had a whole, I had a long list of people that were on my mark off list. And then, you know, actually I marked them all off and it didn't, it wasn't as satisfying as I had thought. And I'm I, in retrospect, I'm like, gosh, how many people did I piss off or what did I do to in pursuit of, of a very bizarre and odd uh, initiative? Yeah. But you know, probably, helped me. probably helped me in some regards, but not, not was, as much as Hollywood. Yeah. That's what I was wondering is it, you know, deep seated underneath that outside of just the faces, you know, it obviously it's, it sounds like it created motivation for you to work hard to try to do things, you know, make things better, all, all the rest. Interest. That's an interesting one. Okay, second question before that we one, wrap by the way, up. That one, that's uh, for all the psychotherapists out there. <laughs> call me up. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, as, as a joke, I mean, one of my one of my subtitles is called, I could have been a serial killer. So I'm sure people are like, yeah, this guy, this guy is scary. Uh, I think I've gotten past it, but yeah. Back that's Hilarious. I love it that you're, I mean, in the book and the conversations, you're just like, here I am, right? This is my experience, which is, yeah. I think, not only healthy for you, but I think healthy for other people that are that are listening. So, okay, the second question, what are you watching, listening to, or reading that makes you think right now? Okay, I'm going to shock you with this one. I, I love this question. I love that you ask people this and the answers are so good. So, my ego would say, let me give a great book or a great podcast or some inspirational. I'm watching this. <laughs> I'm going to go the opposite direction. <laughs> I'm going with this low. It's on Netflix. It's called Trailer Park Boys. And it, it might be <laughs> I think I've heard this. Okay. Inappropriate TV show. And it's about life in a trailer park and these kind of perpetual losers that are, you know, drink and take drugs and just never get. And it's just, it's a, it's a comedy, but a dark comedy. And so why do I bring that up twofold? Because one, it is good escapism. But two, it's funny, it makes me think more than I realized because I grew up with a lot of these people that, you know, have harebrained ideas, 
always trying to take a shortcut a lot. So in, in some ways I'll sit there and I think, gosh, but for a few lucky breaks, that could have been me. Yeah. And it brings back, you know, and oddly enough, it's like, it makes me feel, you know, blessed and, <laughs> and grateful for the life I have, but it's an odd one to bring up as something it, it's escapism, it's humor, but it does have a, a weird side part for me as well. I love it. Well, now I need to go check this out. I don't know if you think, is this going to be my kind of thing or what do you think? Oh, Patty, I think you're too smart and sophisticated for this. This is like, this oh. is, think, think, uh, think your you know, think fraternity, 20 year old fraternity guy humor is what it is. All right. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. And you it, never it, know. I, don't, I don't fit sophisticated. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> You're, you're, you're going to watch it and remove my podcast yeah, from your, uh, from your show list. <laughs> I will. I will. At least I'll email you with it. What the heck are you thinking on this thing? So anyway, well, this has been a great discussion. And I think every single one of us faces, you know, these, these issues. So I hope that you all will pick up Mr. Bunky and me. And also there are, you have a lot of great articles out there too. So, um, Please check out more on Mike Smirklow and the book. And thank you all for everybody for listening. And thank you, Mike, so much for making the time to talk today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Patty. It was a blast. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you all for joining us today for Be a Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.